0: Good morning, everybody here and those online. My name is Ben, and I'm glad to share God's word with us this morning. So tell me about yourself. What makes you most qualified for this position? And looking around here, I'm sure that many of you have heard this question, these words said by HR. Tell me about your previous work experience, how they would benefit this job. What are your best? best attributes or your best strengths. And whenever a teen or a recent grad comes and asks us some interview tips, we we almost always say, go in confidence, sell yourself, be yourself, be sure of yourself, don't be timid. Well, since the new year, we have been working our way section by section through Paul's joyful letter to the ancient church in Philippi. And we've heard about joy in God's plan, how humility leads to joy, and how joy can be found in the struggle of suffering. And this week, from our reading in chapter 3, we will see how joy isn't something we can achieve or earn on our own, and how that's actually a good thing for us. As we jump into this passage, Paul begins with what he has already written a few times. He's not annoyed or repetitive, or being redundant here, because he knows that the first century Philippians, and indeed us here, 21st century Christians and those seeking Jesus in Toronto, we could always use this reminder. Rejoice in the Lord. And these days, you know, that could sound like a synonym for life satisfaction. You know, joy. A synonym, a shorthand. But if you're asking questions about Christian faith, about the church, maybe you're wondering how Christians seem to have this different sort of joy, and you want in on the action. As Tyler shared with us in the first sermon of the series, biblical joy follows an encounter with God. There was another group in ancient Philippi, they were promoting another way to reach God, another way to touch the divine and get the good life. Paul warns about this group that they have confidence in the flesh. They are proud of themselves and what they've accomplished by their own hands. And their boasting comes from human criteria. And that's what Paul means by having confidence in the flesh. So Paul flips the tables on them by using their own criteria. He's exercising a bit of rhetorical one-upmanship. They want to boast, but Paul has all the more reason to boast. If anyone has reason to be confident, Well, I'll show them. And just like a job interview, he goes and starts telling about himself. And he's so full of self-confidence, that kind of pride that is 100% legit and not at all bloated. So his CV starts with all his natural qualifications. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So his circumcision, it's proof of being an upstanding and law-abiding Jew since the start of his life. And then his citizenship, it's the right passport to get in the right doors as God's chosen people. And from Paul's ancestral and cultural background, he was born an elite into the upper echelons of his day. So without lifting a finger and without having done anything in his life, Paul's CV was already top-notch. And he's just getting started. Those are natural-born qualities. Because secular and Christian scholars today would agree that Paul was probably the original Renaissance man, probably the smartest person in the first century. So he goes on, this is the second part of his CV, and he's now highlighting his own achievements, things that he's done himself, accomplishments on his own. As to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's continuing his one-up, one-upmanship on these human criteria. Because during this time, the life of the Jewish people, it's centered around these Old Testament laws, these laws that Moses had received. And the Pharisees, they're the strictest of all the different sects. In other writings, we hear Paul boasting about his teacher, Gamaliel. He went to the best school. And if he was an engineer, he would have gone to Waterloo. Just saying. And Paul, so he had already achieved the best education. He had the best career of his his day. He had the right attitude and the performance to match. No blemish, not a single red mark on that test paper. His parents would have been proud. Paul had the upbringing and the experience that anyone in his era could have boasted about. And he called them gains, these advantages that open doors and opportunities. So what might we consider as our gains today? What are those things in our lives that we count as gains, as benefits? If We think about the exorbitant cost of housing in Toronto, maybe it's a decent credit score, you know, a clean credit history. Maybe it's a membership with bonus perks an alma mater or degrees and letters after your name, or it's physical fitness that allows you to qualify for Boston, if you know what I mean, or it's the color of your skin that affords you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's the size of your social network. These gains in our life are mostly positive and good things. And with many of them, we can probably truly and honestly say, yay me. And we're doing yay me without having to look down on anyone else. So when we look at Paul's list, he has the best background. He's at the pinnacle of personal achievement. He could retire happy. He's made it to the top. But hear what Paul writes next. It's a shock. Yet whatever gains I had, these I come to regard as loss. All these good, positive, yay me achievements in life, Paul's counting them as a loss, as negative why why count them as loss one word or actually one person Christ Paul counts all his gains as lost because of Jesus and here's where we're going to circle back to those dogs those evil workers at the beginning of the passage and those who mutilate the flesh you didn't think I'd skip over that these are the ones who had confidence in the flesh, who boast in human achievement. Those are the dogs, the evil workers, because they had that confidence in the wrong place. They were not the ones who boasted in Jesus. The dogs are unclean outsiders, and the workers are evil because they think that they're good works. They think those works actually bring them closer to God, but in fact, those works are pushing them farther away, leading them away from God, and that's what makes them evil. And the ones who mutilate the flesh, well, they're the ones who insisted on that Jewish custom of physical circumcision. They thought that that would get their name written in God's good book. But Paul's saying, hey, they're just cutting the flesh for nothing. No benefit, just mutilation. So what does this mean then? Whatever gains I had, these I come to regard as loss. So imagine Bruce Wayne, Warren Buffett. Take your pick. But imagine them spending every waking hour of every day meticulously counting all the coins in their piggy bank. No way. They have so much wealth that counting their gains is actually a waste of time. It's a loss. Or consider marathon runners or sprinters, Andre De Grasse, Usain Boltz. and they're wearing all their medals, recognition of their success, their achievements. But when they're on the starting block for the next race, those medals are liabilities. They're just. Dead weight, But they are real gains, they are real things that we can say, hey, benefits, wealth and money, medals that recognize triumph. But on the other side, we also know that happiness and elation, after these achievements, after these accomplishments, the feeling of satisfaction lasts a week or so. They don't last forever the feelings of life satisfaction based on human criteria, they're only temporary because eventually they become weights that drag us down. The next failure, no matter how small it is, that next failure shows weakness. And if we ever compare our salary or bank statement to our colleague or a friend, or the size of the home of our neighbor who's doing another modest renovation, feelings of inadequacy, they're creeping in. That momentary high erodes when we compare ourselves to others. It's inevitable. There's an oft-quoted saying that we're not sure. Is a C.S. Lewis? Is a Teddy Roosevelt? But it goes like this. Comparison is the thief of joy. All right? But even if you try to live as a hermit, trying to shut out the world around you, try to compare yourself, you will always have yourself to compare You always have your past to compare to. That 10K running personal best, you can't always get faster. Even if you try your best, your best eludes you. So whatever you think about your CV, maybe it's a bit sparse. You need to pad it out. Or maybe it's a bit too long. You you need to get it under those two pages. It's all about you. That focus is on you. It's your CV, it's your curriculum vitae. And that literally means the course of your life. So Paul's considering his long CV, all those triumphs and qualifications, all those gains as a loss, because that, it just puts his focus on himself instead of his focus on Jesus. So even if our tendencies don't slip down towards feelings of inadequacy, or maybe they're going the other way to feelings of arrogance, The focus is still back on ourselves, how we measure up, how we measure up to the human criteria of what makes the good life, of what makes for life satisfaction. And more than just his gains, Paul counts everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. Everything good, everything bad is a loss compared to knowing Jesus. If you love pizza like some in my family do, you might even eat the, crumb, the crust, as good and tasty as it might be. But what Paul is saying here is the equivalent of gathering up the crumbs in the pizza box when the whole pizza pie is in front of you. Knowing Jesus is a pizza. Quote for the day. Paul could have boasted about the big crumb that he had That that CV, but he actually wanted the full joy of knowing Jesus. But I do want to be clear here that I don't mean that biblical joy or this joy of knowing Jesus. It's not meant to be a distraction from our lives. It's not meant to take us away from the mundane day to day that we have, or an escape from our suffering, the escape from the pains of breakup, of professional failure, the pains of deep depression or end stage disease. At St. Paul's, we recognize and we respond to these pains of life by offering programs like our pastoral care, grief share, and divorce care. These mental health challenges, we can't just spiritualize them away. Many of you will know that Karl Marx has this famous saying that religion is the opium of the masses, that faith is distraction. And if you're spiritually seeking or maybe you're cynical of of the Christian faith, I'm not saying that at all. No, actually, I'm saying the complete opposite of that. The highs of our human achievement and also the lows of our human suffering, both of them, highs and lows, they're a loss, they're a negative, a liability, because they so easily turn us away from God. And even as I reflect on my own ordination next week to the priesthood, even I have this temptation that I want to count that next step in ministry as my own achievement, I turn inwards and look at my growing CV with pride. Even with my ordination, my status as a priest should be counted as a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. So if everything is a loss, what's the good news? If we can't achieve or earn our joy, what's the upside? The good news is that joy can't be earned to begin with. You can earn and achieve momentary life satisfaction, but that fades over time. But that true biblical joy that Paul experiences and that he wishes for the Philippians that we've been hearing about, he wishes that same thing for us. That everlasting joy, that joy that can't be achieved or earned, it's a gift. Our efforts are like a parent, staying Staying late at work to pay for a trip to Disneyland when their child just wants them to read a bedtime story together. It's researching the best pour over coffee in town when your longtime friend messages you for a chat over coffee. We already know that human relationships bring joy and satisfaction even when those friends and family, when they move away, when we drift apart, or they even when they die. We recognize that our earthly relationships matters so much more over any other achievement, over any accomplishments, anything on our CV. So if that's the case, how much more a relationship with God who offers us an eternal and an everlasting joy. If you haven't yet experienced this eternal joy, you don't need a long CV. Joy in the Lord is on offer for entry-level applicants. It's a gift based on Christ's merits, not on your own. And if you're a long-time follower on the other side, maybe you're like me. you serve decades in the church. Paul does tell us to forget what lies behind and strain towards God. And we strain towards God, not like a job that depends on our success and failure. Instead, we strain towards God, leaning ear in to hear him better, pressing on to see him a bit more clearly. Experiencing joy in the Lord doesn't depend on our own accomplishments, but it does depend on fixing our gaze to Jesus, about turning our whole being in the direction of Christ. So regardless of our circumstances, the highs and lows that may come and go in this life, God offers us a joy, an everlasting, eternal joy. And that joy is in Jesus, and it won't be and it can't be earned. Thanks be to God.